Welcome to this week's edition of Bowl Season Stories. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And each week, different guests from the world of college football join me to talk about current topics in the sport, as well as discuss what they remember most about their bowl game experiences. Today, we are joined by former Florida Gator and current SEC Network analyst, Chris Doring, and the famous Idaho Potato Bowl Executive Director, Kevin McDonald. Today's show is brought to you by Tax Act the official tax filing software of bowl season. Also joining me as she does each week is our on-air producer, Angela Lang. Angela, what an amazing regular season we had. It's over and now it's our time of year. I've, I've said this a few times this week that we own December. Uh, it's bowl season. I can't wait. It is the most wonderful time of the year not just because of the holiday season, but we are finally in bowl season. It is so super cool. And I have to urge anyone who's out there that is not following bowl season social media, you need to get on it because it's really a one-stop shop. Your team is in overdrive right now, did such a great job with all the selections this past weekend and uh, just excited to get into it. Absolutely. We have, yeah. So we, we have Chris Doring, as you mentioned, uh, and he has a, pretty unique perspective, not only because he's an SEC uh, network analyst, but also has a, appeared and played in um, many bowl games in his career as a Florida Gator. So I want to go ahead and bring Chris right in. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on here. And just as you guys are talking about bowl season and being the most wonderful time of the year, got my, my heart beating fast because I agree with you. It's so much fun just to get, and we can watch midweek football during the middle of the day, man, nothing better than that. You, you, you got it. It's one of those unique times of the year. People turn their TV on on a Wednesday between Christmas and New Year's. They don't even know what bowl game they're going to find. They just know they're going to find one and they're, they're probably going to watch it. It's, uh, it's oh, pretty God. special. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. You're, I've, I've really been looking forward to talking to you. You have an interesting background. You, you uh, went to Florida uh, as a your wide receiver. You went as a walk-on. 1991, you redshirted, earned a scholarship, and then went on to uh, have an unbelievable career, 149 career receptions, sixth most in Florida history. Uh, you you, you uh, went to five bowl games, uh, one as a redshirt, played in four. So I'd like to start a little bit talking, talk to us about, you know, being the hometown kid, growing up in Gainesville, you know, you've talked about it before, you, you, you lived out your dream, right? You became mm -hmm. a walk in Florida, earned a scholarship, which I have so much respect for. I mean, nothing was given to you. You, you, you had a dream. Uh, maybe not everybody believed in you as you believed in yourself, but you, you, you bet on yourself and, and, it, and it paid off you, and you played in some big games over your career. Talk to us about that experience. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up, Nick, because it, uh, it really is so much of, of who I am today based upon the route that I had to ultimately go to get to the, the, the dream that I had. Um, it worked out better than I ever could have expected, but it certainly was not the path that I had intended or the, the one that I um, maybe at the time thought was best for me. But in hindsight, you know, having to walk on um, coming out of high school, you know, I, I tell everybody I had the greatest senior year in the history of senior years. I was all state in football, state in basketball, state in baseball. We won the state championship in basketball as the MVP of the state basketball tournament. And I was Sky Masterson in the musical theater production of Guys and Dolls. So I did about everything you could possibly do as a, a senior in high school. But that didn't lead to uh, any scholarship offers. Uh, certainly, my dream was to play at the University of Florida. Both of my parents graduated from UF. Uh, I'd gone to every single Florida athletic event, not just football games, since the time I was I was born and, and living here in Gainesville. That's really what uh, this whole city is, is about, is, is University of Florida events. And so I just naturally expected to have a great 
high school career, which I thought I did. And then I would just move over to, to Florida and continue to do those things. And it, it really didn't work out that way. But I, I'm, I'm grateful because not only the, the path that I was forced to take, but just for, you know, those unanswered prayers, not having a scholarship offer anywhere forced me to, you know, figure out what I was going to do. If I'd have gotten a scholarship offer somewhere else, maybe I would have gone, but it, it didn't mean as much to me. Um, it wouldn't have meant as much to me playing somewhere else as it did in Florida because of the passion that I had for the school, the history that I knew so well and having to prove everybody wrong, that chip on my shoulder developed the perseverance it developed the belief in myself. And it, uh, it really paid dividends as I went on to the NFL and had to experience that again. And then my post playing days, that's why you know, I talk all the time about the importance of playing team sports, particularly football, and what it teaches young people as a vehicle for uh, lessons about life. And, uh, all, I, everything that I do today, uh, whether it's the broadcasting world or the business world, comes from my experience as a as a as a football player and and uh, putting together a team of people around me to help be successful that share like minded goals. Well, that belief in yourself certainly paid off in in, in so many ways, and it, and it continues to to this day. But in terms of your playing career at at Florida, uh, your senior year, uh, you you and the Gators played in the de facto national championship game at that time, the 1996 Fiesta Bowl against Nebraska, number one versus number two. Uh, I know the game didn't turn out the way you had hoped, but you, you had a great game, caught eight balls for 123 yards. Uh, tell us how special was it, you know, after all you had been through to play in a game of that magnitude? Yeah. What was the anticipation and preparation like for that game? Yeah, just an amazing end to my career. Not the storybook ending that I expected, um, but having a chance to to go from being a walk-on to leaving Florida at that time as the, the guy that caught more touchdown passes than anybody in the history of the Southeastern Conference, playing for a national championship. Uh, I remember the buildup, you know, CBS being in town and shooting all the the, the pregame stuff that we did and the, the, the sizzle reels and the, you know, the, the promos and all just – it felt like a, a Super Bowl, and um, you know, I, I had no doubt in my mind that we were going to win that game. Uh, we were watching uh, tape of Nebraska and, and some of the teams that had been able to throw the football on them really well. Uh, felt good about our game plan going in, and, and uh, unfortunately, you know, we, 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 we were up 10-6 after the first quarter, and then that second quarter was just a, an absolute uh, deluge for us. It snowballed out of control, and uh, unfortunately, it was over by about halftime, but um, the experience of being in that situation was not only great for me, great for our team, because the next year that failure led to uh, a national championship uh, with a victory in the Sugar Bowl over, over FSU. And even though I wasn't able to be a part of that team, uh, from a roster standpoint, I felt like I was a large part of it from the, 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 the groundwork and the foundation that had been laid during my, my five years in, in, on campus as a player. That's, a, that's absolutely right. So much the case, Chris. You know, a, a group of guys uh, like you and your teammates kind of build a foundation and, you know, what happens, uh, you know, in the years after you're a big part of that. Now, you, you guys started lay, laying that foundation, you know, before that year, you know, you uh, you won your first two bowl games you played in, a Gator Bowl and a Sugar Bowl. Uh, you probably felt like that was the norm uh, at that time when you were, you were younger, go to a great bowl game every year, win the game. Uh, but, you know, those first experiences are always probably the most vivid in your mind, you know, so as a as a young, you know, athlete uh, on the roster and underclassmen, what was it like to earn a trip to the Gator Bowl and the Sugar Bowl in your first two years? And I know I know you also, you know, went to the bowl game with your team in your red yeah. shirt. What, 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 you know, what, what are your memories from that? What 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 do you uh, think about to this day? Well, I think it's important that we talk about that 91 Sugar Bowl trip. I was getting redshirted that year. Obviously, I wasn't dressed out, and I, I did accompany the team 
working scout team during practice and all. But um, this was the first official STC championship for the University of Florida. The first time we've been to the Sugar Bowl in a long time. And you guys know what New Orleans is like and the temptations that exist during bowl week. So I don't know that we were the most focused team when we went there. I think we overlooked a very talented uh, Jerome Bettis-led Notre Dame team that day and, and uh, didn't, didn't handle things correctly. But I think just as I talked about with that national championship loss to Nebraska, leading to the success the next year, it was that failure in handling uh, the, the bowl experience in New Orleans that led to us being more successful the next couple of years. Certainly the Gator Bowl win was great over NC State, a, a unique game where you know, the fog was so bad you couldn't see to the other sideline. Uh, but I go back to the next time we went to New Orleans after that uh, 93 season, we played an undefeated West Virginia team. We went to New Orleans with a much better plan of how we were going to practice, how we were going to handle our free time, and certainly how we were going to play in the, in the uh, Superdome. And uh, they scored the first touchdown. I think we scored 42 after that to beat them 42 to seven. So I'm a firm believer in, uh, in adversity leading to success and, and having an opportunity, even in the biggest failures. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, you know, the value of, of playing team sports and being a part of the team and sacrificing some of your own individual desires for the good of the team. You know, you, you know, five years uh, as part of the program, you went to five bowl games. Now that was back when there was, you know, 20 bowl games, you know, now there's 44. So going to a bowl yeah. game is a big deal. Going to five straight bowl games is, was unusual for any program back then. So, you know, tell us, was there a common denominator on those teams that, that made you guys uh, be such a great team instead of a bunch of individuals? And tell us about the role Coach Spurrier played in that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Coach Spurrier because the common denominator was Coach Spurrier. And the fact, you go back and look, I mean, he took over the Florida program in 1990. And, uh, you know, I was, like I said earlier, a lifelong Gator fan. My parents were, you know, around a little after Coach Spurrier finished up at Florida. All I ever heard about you know, we didn't have a whole lot of success. We didn't have SEC championships. We certainly didn't have national championships. But what we did have was a Heisman Trophy winner in Steve Spurrier. And when he came back, it was like the golden boy coming home for all the Gator fans. And he immediately instilled confidence in a bunch of guys that had, you know, been, had been very talented but hadn't been able to work together as a team. He got us to believe in ourselves. And we in, eventually kind of took on that swagger that he had. You know, some people outside of the, the University of Florida fan base they call it cockiness. We called it confidence. And uh, he instilled that in us. We expected to win every single time we went out. Uh, he brought a new brand of, of offensive football, throwing the ball around the yard, so much so that it forced you know, teams like Auburn and Georgia, who had been traditional you know, three yards in a cloud of dust type teams, to open it up and go four and five wide receivers. Uh, nobody was doing it as well as we were. And it certainly, you know, I think you look at a lot of the offenses that are being played today in college football, the spread offenses all have a little bit of what Coach Furrier was doing back, you know, two, three decades ago. Let's talk a little bit more about the, the bowl game experience. You know, we, th this podcast is called Bowl Season Stories. So we like to hear about the, the things that happened during your bowl trips. I, I think that, you know, the average fan turns the TV on to watch a bowl game. They see a three-hour football game, you know, just like any other. But they don't realize that, you know, these teams are in town for – four, five, six days going to a destination that maybe they've never been to before with their friends, with their teammates. And there's, you know, you're, you're treated like Kings at these places, right? So everybody's got some, some great memories, pull back the curtain for us a little bit. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, on the field. In fact, you know, the, the events leading up to game day, what do you, what do you remember about those? Yeah, I just, I remember how much fun it was to, to, to land in the city that we were going to play in and, and having the opportunity to get the, 
the briefing from the the bowl folks on site and the the uh, the police department folks from uh, particularly the city of New Orleans letting us know you know how to how to manage that that city and and um, you know, just kidding we, we went to, of my five years in college we went to New Orleans three times so that was my favorite bowl destination that was the tie-in traditionally where the SEC champion went and there's no better place to go on a bowl trip than to New Orleans Louisiana I mean between uh, Bourbon Street and the French Quarter where everybody's going to be down there you know exactly where you're going to run into to friends and fans and, and have the most uh, fun time uh, to the to the cuisine the unique dining experiences there uh, and just the culture in general um, having the different uh, bowl events in, in the evening times where we would have the the joint dinners and the competitive situations with the opposing teams that we were playing. Uh, it's just a much different week of preparation than it is during the normal season. And I think that's what people forget about is this is supposed to be a, a reward for, for teams having great seasons and, and being able to get to that sixth win mark. And so uh, it, while you want to go out there and win the game, uh, you want to prepare the right way. You also want to have a fun time. that's going to create memories for you. And I think all of us as, as teammates, having an opportunity to go to a different city that we had no experience in previously uh, and, and learning about that city was something that I'll always remember. There's certainly going to be a lot of memories created for SEC teams this month. The SEC has 13 of its 14 teams qualify for a bowl game. That's a, it's a record for any one conference speak. You know, you played in the SEC. Now you, you know, you're an analyst on the SEC network speak to the depth and the caliber of athlete that plays in that conference. Is it always like that? You know, and what's, yeah. what's the SEC so, so dominant now. You know, I'll go back to some of the arguments that teams have about, um, all right, the, the, the validity of getting a, a non-Power uh, 5 team in. You know, I, I just – I don't know that anybody plays the type of, of, of schedule that we do in the SEC. Uh, it's not only the physical grind from week to week, but the mental grind and the toll it takes at the end of the year. Uh, more times than not, if you can navigate an SEC schedule – you're, you're sharpened to be able to go out and take on anyone. Now, you know, with the bowl tie-ins, I know the SEC, uh, a lot of times uh, some of our mid-tier and lower-tier teams end up facing some higher-tier te teams from other conferences. Uh, but I have no doubt that, that we're going to be able to, to come out with a winning bowl record this year. And uh, I look at uh, the 13 teams. I mean, all but, but one from our conference made it to bowl eligibility, which just speaks to um, not only the, the talent in this conference, but how – even the, the, the talent is, and, and, and from week to week, how anybody is, is able to pull off an upset victory. It's just a, it's an amazing testament uh, to the commitment to the sport of football in this conference. You know, obviously the CFP matchups get a, a lot of attention uh, this time of year, but I, I'm always intrigued with the differing types of matchups you see during bowl season. Teams playing each other that would never schedule each other on a regular basis for, for various reasons. Sometimes they're very geographically different sometimes they're pretty close and they don't schedule I you know I, I'm intrigued by the Florida Central Central Florida matchup in Tampa you know I, I think you know neither program uh, achieved to the level that they're used to but for them to have a chance to give the football fans in the state of Florida a Florida battle you know in Tampa you know where they both recruit I, I think is is pretty cool what are what are, what are yeah. some of the matchups you're looking forward to seeing well, I think that's a great storyline, first and foremost, and one that as a, a Gator alum that I'm very nervous about because, uh, you know, we handicapping bowl games is all about all right, which team is most focused, which team is most interested in being there. And nowadays, unfortunately, we have to talk about which players are going to opt out and which ones aren't. So um, it, this is a dangerous game. I know Central Florida will be motivated. They, they, they have a perceived 
slight as being little brother in the state and, and uh, Gus Malzahn being their head coach is certainly going to have them ready for SEC competition. So that's one that has a unique storyline to it. And, and it almost reminds me a lot of, of the uh, first round of the NCAA basketball tournament. There's always, you know, some pairings that have a little bit of off the field story to it, whether it's uh, Mike Leach going up against Texas tech, his former employer, or we're talking about uh, Mark Stoops going up against Iowa, which was his alma mater. Uh, or even one, like you said, that doesn't play before. I, I love the Arkansas-Penn State matchup. Uh, Arkansas this year has, has beaten Texas. They've beaten Texas A&M. They've beaten LSU. We're talking about three blue bloods in college football. And can you imagine if Arkansas could add Penn State to that same list? I mean, that's quite an achievement, especially since uh, Sam Pittman you know, took over this, this team, this program, less than two years ago and has already gotten them to this point. So I, I just can't say enough about the job that he's done there in Fayetteville. Yeah, so many great matchups to look forward to. Last question for you, uh, and, and only because you, you brought it up a minute ago, and I kind of have a hunch of how you might answer this question, but what's your opinion on players opting out of bowl games? I, I couldn't – I never could do it. I, I You know, going back to – it was funny. Something came to my mind as we were talking about all of these different bowl games that start in December. When I was a little kid, my dad and I would cut out the bowl games from the newspaper and would alternate – picking the games and we'd follow it throughout the, the entirety of the bowl season. Like that was such a big deal to me. I couldn't wait until the bowl matchups were announced and then having a chance to, to play in, in the, the four bowl games and a 10 five, you know, when I was there, I couldn't imagine watching my teammates walking out onto the field playing without me. And especially my senior year, one more time to get a chance to put that uniform on, particularly with what the orange and blue meant to me from my childhood. Uh, no doubt I would have, uh, of, of played and, and you know, I understand people have to make business decisions, but I think unfortunately people look at college football as a stepping stone instead of looking at it for the experiential uh, opportunity that it is. And so much of, of who I am and what I've been able to achieve in my post playing days came from playing football for coach Spurrier came from playing at, at Florida and uh, couldn't say enough about, you know, what, what college football means in general to me as a, as a, a broadcaster as a person, as a former player, and just a, a fan of the sport in general. Yeah, I feel bad for some of these student athletes. I, I certainly think they feel that this is the best decision for them. Uh, but I'm also pretty certain that 20 years from now, a lot of those kids are going to say, God, I, I, I would give anything to play in one more college football yeah. with, with my friends, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate. They, we, we, all, uh, we all get smarter as we get older, Chris. Believe me, I'm, I'm 48 years old right now, and I would give anything to have the chance to go back and, and do it one more time. You know, it was uh, one of the greatest times of my life. And in my mind, it still tells me that I could go out there and, and run around and catch a pass. I'm not so sure the body would react the same way, but uh, it's something that, that never leaves me. I have that, that uh, recurring dream every July that I'm supposed to be reporting to training camp, and uh, I'm missing it. It's, it's uh, one of the most terrifying, panic-filled uh, nightmares that I have year after year. Well, Chris, we've taken up enough, enough of your time. Thank you so much for joining us. This conversation has been a lot of fun. I have a lot of respect for you and, and your career and how you got to where you are. And, and good luck to you in the future. And uh, good luck to the Gators this bowl season. Thanks so much. I appreciate the kind words and the inclusion in the podcast. And I appreciate what you guys do, too, to uh, help promote the game of college football and have such a great month of celebration at the end of the year. We're going to take a short break and be right back with the famous Idaho Potato Bowl executive director, Kevin McDonald. Stay with us. The forecast for this tax season, it's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with Tax Act. 
the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Welcome back to Bowl Season Stories. We're now joined by the executive director of the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, coming straight out of Boise, Idaho. Welcome, Kevin McDonald. So great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Um, you and I have been friends a long time. You've been the executive director of uh, the Potato Bowl since 2007, worked in the television industry for 17 years prior to that, from Idaho Falls, played football at Boise, which uh, I, I knew you for a little while before I knew that. Um, pretty cool story. Must be a lot of fun for you to be running that bowl game in, you know, in your, your native state and, and you know, at the site of your, where, your alma mater where you played. Tell us about that experience. Well, you know, when I played back in the late 70s, uh, at Boise State. And, you know, when I, I remember when I graduated, you know, the decision, you know, am I going to, do I want to stay in football and coach? Do I want to, uh, you know, go out and find a, a regular job, if you will? And, and uh, you know, I'd made the decision at that point that, you know, I saw how, I saw what the life of a coach looked like up close and personal. And I just felt like that wasn't for me. And so uh, after graduation, you know, I went to work for a, uh, a, a local company here in Boise and fast forward, you know, 25 years or so. And, uh, I had an opportunity to get into this, this bowl game. I, I sat on the advisory council for the bowl game for about three or four years. And then, uh, the, uh, executive director of the bowl game moved on. And I thought I have a chance to get maybe back into, you know, college sports again. And so uh, I ended up getting the job uh, back in 2007, and it has been 15 years of bliss. It's been so much fun. I never felt like I've worked. I've always felt like this was a labor of love. And I know that's an, un an overused, um, you know, statement from people, but uh, it's been a blast. Now, your bowl has a, a big Albertsons fan fest on game day, which from what I understand is a, is a big hit. I know there's a huge potato on a truck bed that also shows yeah. up. You know, and, and, and those are the stories I love. Every, every bowl game is unique, and the days leading up to the game itself have, have a lot of fun things going on. Tell us a, a bit about the fun events that surround the game. That, that's uh, what really makes your game unique. Well, the Fan Fest was something, quite honestly, that we kind of stayed away from for a few years because, you know, we were, you never knew what the weather was going to be like. And after a few years of kind of going that, going through that, you know, we kind of took on this mantra that you got to be tough to play here and that we had to be tough as fans and as uh, the administration of the bowl game to not be afraid to do something, you know, in the middle of December outside. And so we, we put this fan fest on uh, sponsored by Albertsons and it's right out in the parking lot adjacent to the stadium. And uh, we have a lot of corporate support. So We've got Albertsons as our title sponsor. They're using one of the local, um, uh, one of their local vendors to do hot dogs and sausages. They give away chips and guacamole. Then we've got uh, the JR Simplot Company, which is a large company that is uh, headquartered here in Boise, and they're a large food processing company and one of the largest uh, French fry processors in the world. Uh, based right here. And so we have uh, free fry feeds. So, you know, we're giving food away. We've got French fries going all over the place, which makes sense as a potato bowl. Uh, we have live music. Uh, we've got the huge, 
huge truck uh, potato on the on the back of a, a flatbed. Actually, you can you can maybe kind of see it here that that's really um, what it looks like, and that's a that's a full size semi, and that's at the Fan Fest. Um, we got patio heaters out, and it's really a blast. And then right behind that. We have our corporate tent village, which will have about 2,000 fans who are having private parties inside our corporate tent village, inside tents. And, and uh, so it's, it's just really become kind of the focal point um, of our, of our pregame and fan fest prior to the game each year. I love those stories. You know, one of, one of the things I love the most about bowl season is how unique each game is in, in terms of events like that. But there are certainly some things in common. You know, every bowl game really really places a lot of emphasis on engaging their community. I know your game has been a leader in community efforts, feeding the hungry, recognizing local high school and college students for their overall commitment to academics and community service. Tell us a bit about the priority that the famous Idaho Potato Bowl places on the community. Well, it's, it's high. You know, if we're going to ask the community to support us, you know, we need to support back. And, and it's really become something that's been a lot of fun. Um, I can highlight a lot of things, but a couple of things that we've done is we've um, organized along with the, um, the Youth Optimist Football Program here in the Boise area. And we put on one of the largest um, passing camps in the Pacific Northwest, if not the largest passing camp, and a big man challenge. So it's a passing competition. Uh, we wanted to engage the offensive and defensive line people because they, they can't be in that seven on seven passing. And so we do things like um, obstacle courses where, you know, they're toting around 50 pound bags of potatoes. Um, they're pushing trucks, they're flipping tires. And then we crown our champion um, with a uh, tug of war. And so it's absolutely a blast, but uh, we've had roughly 900 participants in that event here the last several years. And so that's part of our commitment back to the football program, which we supply trophies to, and we do things like that for, for the young people. And we provide aid to their financial aid program for families who can't afford the fees that go along with playing football. Um, we're the Southern Idaho chapter of the National Football Foundation. So, you know, we are always nominating and I guess inducting eight high school student athletes from Southern Idaho into the College Football Hall of Fame. And uh, that's an annual banquet and scholarship program that, that we fund every year here. And then it's, then it's, you know, giving back to our community, you know, through um, whether it's first responders, military, folks like that. Uh, we try to support those programs. And then one of the things that we just started doing here recently, which has really been fun, is we, we have a program called Tackle Hunger. And it's the first event when the teams arrive where we go to a local area high school, we bring both teams together. They're in their jerseys, along with an Albertson's apron and hairnets, and they build meals for uh, the Idaho Food Bank here in town. And, and between what the kids build and our sponsors donate, we provide about 60,000 meals to the food bank each year. Well, that, that's, that's great stuff. Uh, we, we mentioned earlier, you know, you've been with the Bulls since 2007, kind of Kind of, kind of two questions in one here. How have you seen the game grow uh, over the course of those 13 years? And tell us about some of your, your favorite moments or, or memories from those 13 years. This, is, this podcast is called Bull Season Stories for a reason. So tell us, what, uh, tell us some of the things that stand out the most to you. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think about a lot of things. Um, 
But I remember the first time I was on the sidelines for our game in 2007. It was uh, Georgia Tech and Fresno State. And I remember standing on the sidelines and I would see these big flags that we'd put up, the conference flags. And they're on the uh, kind of the back end of the playing field facing the press box. And then we had, uh, we were the humanitarian bowl at the time, and we had our flag up. Then underneath that, we had the, um, the uh, American flag, and we were playing the national anthem. And I was like, it was surreal to me. So it was, it was so cool to, you know, that's a memory I'll always remember my first game. But, you know, I, I think about people, you know, stars that we've had. You know, I, I think about um, Josh Allen. In 2017, he had been hurt the last half of the season. He was going to be a top 10, maybe one of the first quarterbacks taken in the draft that year. And we thought, oh, he's, he's been hurt. He didn't play his last game. He's probably not going to play in the bowl game. And I, and I talked to Coach Bowl at the time and um, asked him about Josh. And he said, you know, Josh might play. And he's, he's recovering from an injury. And, and he's just got to be 100%. And sure enough, one day before the game, he announced he was going to play. And uh, wow, three touchdown passes in the first quarter. And, you know, I, I think our bull really helped him go from that, you know, star quarterback that people had heard of at Wyoming to actually seeing him play in bowl season and have the kind of game that he had. And he was drafted number seven that year and has become, you know, the, the, one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL to this day. I think about Khalil Mack when he came from Buffalo, again, a great player from a school that, you know, kind of off the radar, uh, an impressive kid, a nice kid, um, heck of a football player. I think about, about Zach Wilson who played. Um, and I remember at the, um, at the uh, post, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the uh, trophy presentation, I remember our sponsor handing him the uh, MVP trophy and he, and he said, Zach, congratulations on being perfect. And I, that was the first time I realized at the end of the game, he was 18 for 18. He threw four touchdown passes and threw for over uh, 300 yards. And uh, amazing performances by, you know, some of these athletes. But I also remember, you know, things like, you know, seeing kids see snow for the first time. Uh, you know, we're not Miami Beach. We, we can't. We can't put you in bathing suits and play beach volleyball. So we take the kids snow tubing. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd have kids from all over the country who had never seen snow before come up and snow tube. And not only is the first time they were in snow, they were taking their shirts off. And, and it, you know, it's, it's just the spirit of young people and, and how they embrace, you know, playing in a bowl game that just makes you feel so good. So those are some of my some of my favorite memories and most memorable times um, over the course of my 15 years. Well, last question for you, Kevin. And everyone may not know this, but earlier this month you you announced that you'll be retiring uh, after this year's game. Yeah. So I yeah. want to give you a chance to reflect back on your time as executive director and really your your career as a whole. What are some of the more lasting memories you'll carry with you, and what will you miss the most? Well, you know, it's the relationships for the most part, you know, Nick, you and I go back a long ways and, you know, back to the big East days and, and uh, the great crab feed and, and bake that you guys, you guys did. I mean, that was, that was special. That was pretty unbelievable. But I think about the relationships and I think about the relationships with, 
coaches like Pat Hill and Frank Solich. And think about, you know, people in our industry, you know, Wright Waters was our very first executive director before you. And, you know, he's such an icon in the business coming from the Sunbelt and being our first uh, executive director. And nobody can spin a story quite like Wright. And I, I love going to our meetings and listening to him, you know, tell some of those stories. Uh, you know, if you know Wright, you understand what I'm saying. It's, uh, you know, people like Pete Derzis, who retired this past year at ESPN. Um, these people are, you know, they're monuments in, in our business. Uh, conference commissioners. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, think about, I think about things that we've done in our community, you know, going back these 15 years. You know, we have a potato sack race, as you should have, you know, at the Potato Bowl. And we go to a local uh, federally funded uh, school, a Title I school in this area. And uh, we, we go out every year and we have a competition to see who the best uh, racers are in potato sacks. And all the kids come out in the playground and the whole school's out there and they're cheering their you know, classmates on. And they are uh, trying to qualify to get to uh, the potato bowl to uh, race. And you know, those are... Those are just, you know, so much fun because, you know, the young people that you touch in our business uh, is, is amazing, you know, and I'm not talking about just the, the student athlete, but the young people in our community. And, and uh, I'm going to miss relationships. I'm going to miss seeing those, you know, young people. And uh, it's, it's always fun to greet the teams as they walk off their airplane and, and come in. But, but uh, you know, I've worked for a lot of great people. We were a nonprofit before we were um, acquired by uh, ESPN. And so it was people who helped found the bowl, you know, the athletic director at, at uh, Boise State back then, Gene Blamire, and some community service leaders in Boise who are still involved deeply in our bowl game 25 years later. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to think about um, stepping away from that. But, you know, it's time for new eyes at our bowl game. And uh, I, I think our, our game's got a bright future, uh, supported by ESPN, supported by Corporate Boise. You know, we've got a great title sponsor, the Idaho Potato Commission, and uh, uh, companies like Albertsons and the J.R. Simplot Company really help solidify our game into the future. The famous Idaho Potato Bowl is scheduled for Tuesday, December 21st at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Albertsons Stadium in Boise, Idaho. The game will feature Wyoming versus Kent State and will be broadcast on ESPN. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show. But beyond that, thanks for being such a, a great friend over the years. Thanks for everything you've done for college football and the bowl business. And, and, and even more than that, just thank, thanks for being one of the, one of the greatest guys, human beings I, I know. I, I say that sincerely. I, I, we're going to miss you. Uh, good luck in your retirement. Hey, Nick, so much. I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for your friendship. And uh, I'm not going away. So uh, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll see you down the road, whether it's at uh, football games, uh, championship games, whatever it is. But uh, great job at bowl season. Thank you for your work and your dedication to, to our industry because uh, it's extremely important. And nobody knows better than you the inflection point that we're at you know, right now in uh, our industry. And uh, we need strong leadership. And, and between our... Uh, executive committee and uh, you amazing work. Thank you for everything.
Well, thank, thank you, Kevin. And, and thank all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.